Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lay Film Podcast. And in this episode, we are going to recap, break down, and give our thoughts to the OA episode six, Forking Paths. I'm your co-host Richie, and here is my co-host Patrick. Patrick. Yes. <laughs> Sorry about that, Patrick. Um, so yeah, uh, if you're new here. I'm Richie. I've already seen part one of the OA and part two. And Patrick here. I'm showing Patrick for the first time the OA. And yeah, we finally got to episode six, Forking Paths. And we only have two episodes left. And um, yeah, uh, give us your thoughts, Patrick. What did you think of this episode? It's the shortest one so far. I was surprised by the length. And I'm I'm trying to get a feel for the approaching conclusion. It's uh, it's a unique. It's a unique show. It's doing unique things again, like the just the differences, the drastic differences in episode length, like this one's under 30. Right. Yeah, I think about like 27 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So it's, are they saving script? Are they saving money? Are they saving budget? <laughs> or are they trying to like do you do you strategically shorten stuff before the big finale to use that new time? Because yeah, the time will hit different if it's thirty minutes and then an hour and a half at the conclusion. It's gonna hit different. From from what I've know from Zal and Britt is that they didn't want to confine themselves to this like episodic formulaic uh, structure of a television series, and they wanted to approach each episode with I don't know with an appropriate length they felt like was um, suitable for um, yeah for each chapter. So. Yeah, they they always felt like doing this series on Netflix, giving them gave them that freedom to like approach every episode uh, with how they felt was right. So, yeah, I mean, in the end, I mean, the series turned out to be almost what eight hours each, an eight hour film. So, I think I think uh, it fit the. The pacing of the episode like lots of things happened really fast <laughs> and yeah on this one my ears perked up a couple times yeah <laughs> i typically watch these after work <laughs> i'm a little drained and it's night like 1 a.m 2 a.m <laughs> yeah. yeah after a long day and then you're you're finding yourself and kind of more conspiracies. <laughs> yeah, I, Searching up for more answers. Oh yeah, this, the Saturn stuff had me perk my ears up. Yes, because, uh, yeah, I think uh, one tidbit about this episode is that the title Forking Paths is a reference to um, a short story by Jorge Luis Boge or Boge? I don't know how to say his name. I'm sorry. But um yeah, it's a, a short story called A Garden of Forking Paths. Um I had a chance to kind of read some of it and skim through it and I st I can't explain even to you Pat like the um the story itself cuz I, I I still have to reread it. Sorry, I didn't do enough research enough digging myself but um it does have a reference to uh some of the theories that hap himself have about um what he's doing in his in, an, in his experiment and um yeah i want to read a quote from the short story uh one quote says I leave to various future times, but not to all my garden of forking paths. 
and they have a reference to a labyrinth uh, in this story, whether it's physical or figurative. We did see a sort of a, a labyrinth or a maze in the previous episode, right? Where Oe is holding this board, this little game where she's balancing a marble along these uh, little pathways. And yeah, she tells Rahim she wants to jump off the board. Or I guess in a way, escape the maze, right? And um, the, the little maze had little holes. Yes. You gotta find the right one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think you might be onto something, Patrick. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's recap the first section. So in the beginning, we have Buck practicing um, some of the movements uh, in front of the mirror along to a Beach House's uh, All Your Yeahs, which is a great song, by the way. I love Beach House. I've been listening to Beach House lately. They had a new album. And you have no idea. Uh, my ears also perked up because uh, whenever I hear a reference to Beach House or when this show put uh, Beach House in the soundtrack, I'm like, I love <laughs> Zal and Britt and whoever, um, you know. Oh, um, it's, uh, I think, Rostam. Rostam uh, Bat Batmanglish, uh, which is Zal's brother who did the score and the theme for this show. So he probably had a, a hand and throwing in Beach House there. So just want to throw that out there. And um, yeah, so we see Buck riding uh, his bike over to the abandoned house and we see these flares or like some um, like wreckage on the street. And I think that is a reference to Rachel's car accident. What do you think about that um, theory, Patrick? Rachel's car accident. Yeah, because in the car accident, she lost her brother and she also had her NE. I think she referenced oh, okay. a backpack or a red backpack or something. I don't recall all the details, but um, I believe that was a reference to Rachel's uh, NDE. Yeah, okay. Was there a backpack? Uh, I, I know that there were flares and a little bit of wreckage, like some uh, car or something, but I don't remember seeing a backpack. There might have been. I'm not sure. Someone can correct on that. <laughs> I, I took it more as like impending, an, an impending conflict or collision or disaster. Or, yeah, I could see the, yeah. I'd have to go back and look at <laughs> Rachel's uh share rachel's uh experience and see if there's like if it's the same if it's like a van like she described or if right. yeah any like little hints yes um yeah i think i think by the time we finish this show or like this at least this first um at least part one there are references that tie all the way back to the beginning and even all and that loops all around to the end. So maybe you'll find something. Maybe you'll catch something that I didn't. So anyway, uh, yeah, Buck to Bannon House. They start telling their story and OA says that two years have passed and Scott found the third movement uh, after his, his death or NDE. And then Renata had the fourth, and they've all been uh, middle elves or tattooing themselves, um, scarring their own bodies to record uh, the movements. Like they've created their own language, like with these symbols, so that they can remember them because from Renata's NDE, she says that someone in her NDE told her that they would have this amnesia effect from, the, from their travels. So when they come back, they needed to record them somehow so that we get the origin story of why OA has these scars on her back. 
it's not i thought it was yeah i took a literal i thought of the x-men with the wings too directly but yeah <laughs> we get to see the scars and like yeah it's not yeah it's symbols yes so now you know right <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so then Buck asks OA, why didn't you just let yourself die? Why not stay in your NDE? And she explains that every time you make a decision, a reality forks off into a new possibility, into a new life, into a new world. Um, however, she says that she's never done that before. She's never been able to perform uh, all five movements with perfect feeling because that's what she said in order for it to work everyone has to have all five and with perfect feeling and once you do it what it would be like it would be like jumping into an invisible current mm -hmm. yeah what, what did you think of that patrick um what what are your theories as to what will happen when they all do it? Uh, do you think is it's it's as simple as she made it sound like? It's uh, I think so. It's it's a TV. It's magic. It's a TV show, but I do enjoy like uh, I do love that uh, those alternate dimension theories. Or even like the uh, the uh, it's like kind of like the Schrodinger's cat kind of situation, or the future the future is like an infinite split upon decisions, and the action of doing those decisions or those choices creates that future, and that. But there's right. also parallel to that the other futures that were also equally possible, and there's an infinite yes. amount of chances and choices at all points there's an infinite uh, infinite amount of theoretical dimensions or futures that we don't experience parallel but they're yeah all that i i do enjoy that stuff uh this all this info dump has me formulating new theories <laughs> <laughs> uh what's one of them uh, give us one of your theories what, what, what do you think okay so she she has her memory. She has the scars. Uh, so. Or she's, she's she has her memory, which is the most important thing. And uh, so it feels like she didn't travel. Through whatever the if it happens in her. In the past recollection of captivity with Hap. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Ha yeah, whatever happens, it was uh, it wasn't her is what I'm inferring. Because, like she said, she wouldn't remember it unless, unless the markings alone are enough to trigger the memories to return. Mm -hmm. Which I don't. I, I thought I thought it was like more of a maybe wouldn't it be more of a mind wipe if you're like hopping dimensions into another alternate version of yourself. Right. But uh, I don't know the. I don't want to get bogged down too much in the schematics because my thing is, <laughs> I want to say, I want to say, Hap, is going to be the one to travel and i want to hmm. say he'll possibly get the fifth move <laughs> or maybe rachel will travel i don't know because yeah there's a lot of emphasis put on indirectly on rachel with her not having a new move yet right and how long yes because yeah because uh homer oa scott and renata they've all received the movements yeah. and Hap has learned every movement uh, along with them. This man is obsessed. He is unhinged. He is watching them. He is not just some, you know, uh, idiot scientist villain who's just unaware <laughs> of their plan, right? No, he's, yeah, he's, he's very open-minded too. Or he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's a firm believer. He's on the outside. He's not in the crew. <laughs> he's... He's the evil uh, one keeping them ha captive, but he's still like open to their discussions about what it could all mean, <laughs> what it could, right. the power it's within them. 
It's funny you bring up the term outsider because he doesn't want to consider himself an outsider from what we learned later in this episode. He's like Copernicus. (laughs) (laughs) He's like Columbus. (laughs) Discovering new things at the expense of others. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. um, Yeah, he is Hap, the angel hunter, and he wouldn't be an angel hunter without, you know, actually uh, learning about them and following their every move. And um, we also get more about um, Hap's uh, peer, his uh, his confidant, uh, Leon. It's another, another person. Yeah. yeah. Another fun conspiracy hole <laughs> to go into. <laughs> yeah, he... Uh, as, uh, I guess he's similar to Hap in a way. I think, I would say he's much more cold and sinister than Hap is. Just with his approach and, and how oh, he, yeah. um, like just his, uh, yeah, the, like the terms that he's using and, uh, he was telling Hap, hey, you know, like, um, well, here, I'll, I'll explain more in a second. So, Hap confides in Leon. He tells him that he feels resentful because of the the camaraderie that the group is having. You know, their rituals, their mutilation. They 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 have a sort of tribalism that he wants to be a part of, which is like kind of rich coming from Hap because like he's never put himself in their shoes. He's never experienced. At least what we, from what we know so far, uh, their NDE. And yeah, he, he wants to be seen as a peer. He wants to be seen as just as, as an equal to them. And Leon simply just has, uh, you know, lab partners go home at night and lab subjects, they, they sleep in the experiment. That's, uh, that's pretty cold. Yeah. It's a great, uh, it's cold. It reminded me of, uh, Herbert West reanimator by Lovecraft. Mm, the, there's a film, right? The anime, the reanimator. Yeah, that's the, they made a film, but also the, it's a, the old story he did. The film's obviously based on that. But I think more modern. But yeah, in the novel or the short story, it's about, uh, again, like a cold calculated. Uh, what's the word? Entrepreneurial uh, <laughs> scientist who wants to solve the death problem by uh, reanimating corpses or reanimating, re- bringing people back to life from freshly dead. Right. And yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good, the movie's more wacky and, uh, out there. But the book is more like early 1900s, uh, very racist undertones, but, uh, <laughs> once it gets past that, it gets to like, there's like a vague, there's a vague nature and like, he's, he sets up like in this like in the OA where that uh, Leon has like a wing of this hospital or research facility. Right. Where he's like, oh, when everyone goes to like, when it's just a night crew, it's like one janitor comes in this whole wing and he's like, I can do anything I want essentially without being disturbed. And then, yeah, during the day they're sleeping. And yeah, it just reminded me of that story where they set up something very similar, like near a graveyard. And they exhume. They're in a hospital wing that's adjacent to a graveyard, and they exhume uh, the freshly buried populace. Like this, like they buried them in the day, and they exhume, exhume them that night, and they reanimate them. And in the story, they experience uh, something post death. But yeah, when they re- when they return to life, they're clearly not the same. And yeah, they have like a unspoken connection with each other. Although, yeah, it's just a great little horror story. About Interesting. 
or what? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> making a making the cameo. Yeah, that, Leon really reminded me of that. I'm like the horror nature aspect of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I love that you made those connections because now I kind I want to watch uh, the Reanimator. I've heard it's uh, such a classic. It became a uh, this little uh, franchise. Um, I wonder if they'll ever like remake it. But, uh... oh, the the movie's <laughs> kind of cheesy. The book's really like the book's better, but yeah, I think the movie's pretty out there and funny. But yeah, cult classic for sure. Yeah, and I guess in this instance, uh, we have our evil scientists, but um, they, even though they have these inhumane tendencies, uh, I still kind of understand Happ in a way. I understand what he's trying to do. Um, oh, yeah. If it's Happ because, or Leon, I want Happ. I don't want Leon. Right. Because Leon says, hey, you enforce turnover, um, you know, you use the the uh, potassium chloride, and then you turn them into the incinerator, and all this stuff was like, dang, he just said it without any hesitancy. And um, Hap says, you know, uh, he doesn't really care about profit. Uh, that's not his his end goal; is not to make money. Uh, yeah. Guys, so, yeah. And Leon's reaction to Hap spilling his guts. About his more pure, compared to Leon, his more pure motivations. <laughs> is where the fun conspiracy stuff comes out. Right, because uh, Leon tells him that he's on the verge of like you know publishing uh, his his discovery in about a year, year and a half's time, and he talks about how like oh yeah. You know, what if the answer, uh, but he said, uh, what if the answer to death is more life because he believes that there is an afterlife and Hap gives him uh, an opposing theory in a way in that it's not an afterlife. It's more of a, a forking path, more of these, like all, all these possibilities that lead into, um, new worlds. And, um, yeah, at first Leon said, you know, is it the, the many worlds theory, which I actually haven't read up about. Do you know, like the difference between that, like the many worlds theory and what they're talking about with the forking paths? I think the many, maybe it's just that, uh, maybe it's just the parallel worlds exist at, a. But they're just separated by the intangible dimensional difference. Hmm. It's similar, but I think the the different thing would probably be the removal of the choice. Right. Or the, 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 the like the aspect that decision creates the next or yeah, the, the decision or the fate or the not the yeah. Sorry. I think the many worlds one is like it's more fate bound. But right. like very similar where we exist on this world parallel to us on every side infinitely is every other possible alternative. But like our through line in this world is like already been decided by like the invisible hand of fate. Like the reason we're not the world parallel to us is because the th way things are are going to happen is going to happen definitively in our ways and it's like outside of control where i think maybe haps thing is more the multiple world thing but the decision of choice is what right. causes this fractures in the different worlds to originate instead of just the different hard-coded fates yes and he mistakenly tells him that he he believes he knows where they're going um to which leon tries to pry some of those answers out of him in which results in them um uh well and it results in leon trying to murder hap in which hap uh kills him in self-defense um 
But yeah, that all happened very quickly. Uh, the actor that plays Leon was really great. <laughs> I like that in the one scene that he was in, he was extremely menacing. And yeah, I thought that it was a very well acted um, episode on his end. Um, Leon gives off some MK Ultra vibes. <laughs> some uh, deep state stuff. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, by, uh, he's played by Michael, uh, Kumpstie. and yeah, I think he did a really great job in this episode and what precedes this sequence is that, um, it is the OA's turn to be put under the drowning machine and yeah, I didn't mention this before, and I just told you right before we started recording, Pat, is that the the actors themselves, the crew, actually went through this drowning process, like for real, um, just to really dive into the the trauma of their characters and to just get into a more of an emotional space that they felt like they couldn't tap into unless they they went through that process. And, um, that's, uh, yeah, that was, it sounded really, really scary and eerie. Like, wow. I can't imagine like the, you know, having to go through that. Um, cause one of my fears in life is, is drowning. So like, <laughs> imagine having that fear and then, and then getting this role and you're like, oh yeah, we're going to drown you in this little like, uh, apparatic machine that we invented. And, um. Yeah, maybe maybe it would cure my my uh, my fear of drowning because, uh, you know, Prairie or Nina was able to get through her fear after that bus incident. <laughs> um. So yeah, Hap tries to convince Prairie to run off with him with the the two movements, you know, to to go off to some island somewhere, uh, uh you know, have a clinic for these sick people and to cure them. And, you know, he wants to, like, you know, uh, go to the, to the wealthy people, you know, all these, the, maybe the one percenters, you know, take all their money, create the uh, new technology or something, and, and, and do something with these movements. An island for the one percent, you say? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Where have I seen that before? <laughs> Where have you seen that before, Pat? Hmm. But yeah, she obviously denies him because, well, there is no insurance on the, or there's a more, I guess there's no assurance on what's going to happen to the rest of the crew. Uh, she doesn't know if they're going to be safe or they're going to be released. And uh, yeah. The OA, she dies, or she goes through her NDE, and she tries to look for uh, Katoon because she wants the fifth movement. They want to be able to get it before Hap does, but she doesn't get anything. All she hears is a white noise, because as soon as she returns, Hap interrogates her. Um, yeah, and we find out that... You've been hearing the sounds of Saturn's ring. What is uh, what is your reaction to that? That's that's where my my conspiracy, <laughs> my years of passively looking at conspiracy theories for fun when they <laughs> were when they were still fun, they stopped being fun uh, around twenty fifteen twenty sixteen. <laughs> But uh, they got, they're kind of fun again, if you find the right ones. And uh, even a more recent one I've stumbled across is the, the Saturn conspiracy theories. And uh, yeah, it's the uh, concept of the black cube of Saturn conspiracy, where there's the, uh, on one of the poles of Saturn, there's like a hexagonal storm that... Uh, I think it's been going on for like a hundred years and uh, the conspiracy is that at the center of that storm is actually a um, not, not malevolent the inverse of that 
but yeah, there's some kind of sci-fi black cube there. Uh, mm-hmm. people, I've seen it references like the demon machine of Saturn that causes all <laughs> ill will throughout the resonating solar system. But yeah, there's some great like conspiracies because like the you know the hexagon is if you look at. I put it in our little thing for you, Richie, but if you look at a 3D image of a cube from a certain angle, it creates like a hexagonal shape, which is what people infer is the cause of the mm. hexagon. Like if you look at a cube from like a top right corner, and if it's like a see-through cube, it's a hexagon outline. And I've seen people uh people connect Yeah, they connect that optical illusion where it's a hexagon and the cubes within it to the concept of like a tesseract, which is the uh, theoretical shadow of a fourth dimensional cube. Right. Yeah. If we were like to observe that. So yeah, people like say like the reason there's a black cube on Saturn's pole causing a hexagonal storm, the hexagon that it forms is like the uh, shadow of the fourth dimensional object or powers of the cube present on Saturn and like we can't look at the fourth direct dimensional object directly because again we're three-dimensional beings but we can observe the three-dimensional shadow of a for mm-hmm. a fourth dimensional object just like a Carl Sagan's great episode way back in Cosmos he talks about the people of the flat two-dimensional world seeing the shadow of an apple and not being able to comprehend what it is because they are two-dimensional beings. It's the shadow of a three-dimensional object interjected into the flat world. So yeah, I love I love the Saturn stuff where I think it's the radio waves uh, transferred into an audio, an audio format. And, I had seen that before the show because it's a part of a series. And yeah, Saturn's the most evil sounding of all the, the planets. <laughs> it sounds like waves and screams, which is connected yeah. to the little conspiracy theories. Yeah, because I know that um, Jupiter has like the big red spot, right? Or something yeah. like that. I remember big. Jupiter being my favorite one because of that alone. Yeah. I know big, that. I think. Big hurricane. Yeah. So. Saturn kind of doesn't Saturn have a um a dot as well, but not just not not as huge unless I'm mistaken that for like Neptune or something. I think maybe I know I think Jupiter I think Jupiter's developing a hexagon too. There's another conspiracy I saw. I think I think what the hexagon on Saturn is the storm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm looking through images right now. It's kind of creeping me out. <laughs> it's a it's a fun conspiracy. It's mm. you don't put too much stock in it, but it's fun to think about. <laughs> think about all this if it was real, just like uh, mm. and I feel like a lot of the show is uh, having fun uh, exploring those concepts. Yeah. The, closest thing to an astral projection i've had was in a dream uh i was uh getting like some kind of brain surgery and then i was out of my body it's like uh looking at him operating on my brain not my brain but on my head and then i went to the waiting room where my family was and uh uh my dad was there and he had recently had a stroke so he lost the ability to verbally communicate. And in the dream, uh, no one else can see me except my dad. <laughs> and like oh he couldn't God. communicate, he couldn't communicate to the rest of the family that he saw me and that I was gonna die. And it was like a bad <laughs> it was one of those <laughs> it was one of those dreams you wake up from, like, whoa, that wasn't a fun one. Right. But yeah, that was that was the dream. And that, yeah, that's that if I, if astral projection's real. I think that's what it would feel like. Hmm. That's my only experience. Relatively close. Have you had any? Uh, any astral projection moments in my life? Mm-hmm. Um, or feelings? Shoot. Uh, 
you know, I, you know how people like do lucid dreaming or like, mm-hmm. you know, they take control of the wheel per se, like in their dreams. I, I don't think I've ever been able to really fully do that. And if I was, it only happened for not very long. And then I wake up on accident. Um, dude, you know, I, I did have a crazy dream recently that felt very real. It felt like I was living another life and then I had died. Um, yeah, I was just in a car with somebody. Yeah, this not, I know this is not astral projection or anything, but no, I, I haven't ever experienced that. But I've experienced these intense dreams that felt so real. Like I thought that I had been living that life. And yeah, I was in a car and we saw somebody um, crash into... Uh, what's what's it called the um uh you, you know that uh you know when you exit the freeway and there's like that mid area i forget what it's called um, oh, yeah, the, the barriers yeah the yeah, yeah yeah someone uh yeah crashed into like that barrier and then we also crashed <laughs> into a barrier just from like experiencing that happening and i and i am like i almost had that feeling like oh my god like i I just felt what it felt like to be in a car accident or to be crushed. And then I woke up. This happened like maybe last week or something. And um, yeah, unfortunately, I haven't really had that experience, uh, Patrick, but I, I am very interested and um, in knowing what that is. Although I do know that as a kid, I'd, I had a near-death experience, I think. Uh, I think I almost drowned when I uh, went to, I believe, Folsom Lake with the family. I think I was like maybe three or four years old. I don't even remember this experience. But my aunt told me um, that I had almost drowned before. Because, you know, I think uh, I just walked off away from the family into the water. (laughs) Um. I wonder the reason why I, I was never able to swim or to conquer my fear of drowning is because of that experience, even though it's something that I don't even remember myself. So perhaps like subconsciously, my body is like preventing me from being able to do that or learn how to do that or condition myself to. So, yeah. There goes my long-winded answer of, no, I have not experienced any sort of astral projection yet, but I'll keep you updated if that ever happens. But the beauty is that dream, that dream where you felt like it was 100% real, like uh, it essentially is. If it's, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's like there's, there's philosophy theories and all that stuff about like, yeah, when, with stuff like that, it's, if it's so indifferent, you can't tell the difference between mm-hmm. like our reality and those dreams. It's like they're both as non-tangible in a way. And if, yeah, I feel like the show touches on exploring those themes, especially when they have the NDEs and they're going somewhere else. Like the, yeah, it's just a great little like when you have a dream that feels completely real in your life that feels completely real. And then the show, when these people have these NDEs and it's to them, it's completely real. There's like mm-hmm. no differentiating between there's no hard line right. between what is real. And then that leads you to like, you know, if there's no hard difference, if there's no hard difference between the realities of those three experiences, uh, like it's more easier to accept that maybe there is, you know, the parallel universe is directly overlapping. Maybe you could travel from one to the other because you go to sleep every night and going to sleep allows you to allowed you to travel to experience that car crash right like who's to say you can do that consciously wow yeah i guess i never thought of it like that the idea of going to sleep and then traveling in your sleep yeah huh that's what the fun fun conspiracy astral projection <laughs> like, yeah you leave your body and you you want to go to the saturn cube there's, the, mm-hmm. there's cia dream warriors there who are also <laughs> actually projecting they stop you <laughs> man patrick i cannot wait uh 
you know, whenever we do get to um, part two. Um, is there CIA NDE patrols? Um, I'm not going to say any more, but I'm just going to say that uh, a lot of the things that we've talked about in this episode, yeah, they're, um, they are, yeah, I can't wait for you to have more conspiracy theories when, yeah, whenever more things get revealed. Because, I'll, yeah, there's a lot more of the, like, that Saturn and Black Cube stuff that, uh, the show dives into <laughs> that's i have i have a great appreciation for the show just for it's it's messages with certain characters like french and buck it's 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 touching on it's touching on current and like societal values and issues parts of us as a nation struggle with or media consumption nation it's, yeah, it's it's good that they're doing that, but they're also so open to like the more like my type of conspiracy stuff. We're like, oh, I like that. Yes. I like that they're having fun with it. They're they're being open. It's not like uh, <laughs> it's not like Inception where there's rules and there's like six clocks going at once and there's a uh, yeah. No, no, that's why I was so grateful that you decided to um, watch this in the first place because yeah, there are so like. The further and further you get into the show, I think the more it's going to like start, you know, uh, it's going to perk up more in you to have, uh, you know, all these conspiracy theories come back to the to forefront. Maybe you've buried them and the show is going to wake you. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that the things that you like about this show uh, has been criticized by other um reviewers and critics they say that the show is uh self uh, you know uh self-serious and not as fun but i'm glad like you know i never heard someone talk about these things in a way that that it sounds fun to them and i think that's so enlightening um, give me names who dares <laughs> who would drop such a pathetic crit- criticism <laughs> <laughs> That's oh trust me <laughs> after after watching um part one or basically season one yeah they, they've there have been uh, quite a few critics that say hey this show is overly serious um a bit dark and uh yeah very brooding and not fun just like not funny and i'm just <laughs> thinking like the show <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, the exact, it's the exact opposite. I don't know how you could do that. I don't know. I it's funny that you say that, Patrick, because I recommended this show recently on a on a forum where someone said, Hey, recommend me a show that has a lot of depth or, you know, maybe something lighthearted or just anything with good great quality. And and the OA was one of the shows I mentioned among uh, other shows that I recommended. And they said, Oh, I watched the OA. That show is so dark. I don't know about that one. And I thought, whoa, I've never heard anybody call the OA like that dark, you know? No, like, we've, we've like, consumed some pretty dark content, Pat. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we've seen, we've seen, come and see The Ascent, <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> right. There's some dark no, stuff. No, that's dark. That's pretty macabre. Yeah. Also, the real world is just way, way more dark <laughs> than yeah. anything in the show. There are assassins out there, man. There are hitmen that are after, you know, certain oh, people. Yeah. <laughs> That's more dark. <laughs> or the, average, the average person sees a homeless person living in the streets. That's darker than anything in any show, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> right. But someone living um, you know, a harsher existence for no, re- no good reason. But uh, I love what you're getting at. It's like this show is touching upon these theories in a way that's enlightening and fun and you know it intrigues like this possibility that it could maybe be real because it's convincing me (laughs) it makes me think like huh forking paths i like that maybe that's better than me thinking when i die there's just heaven or hell you know or purgatory or some sense but um yeah so even if it's even if it's just its own mythos it's creating it's creating something, which is, yeah, to be praised for. Right. 
and, and it's not like the show is creating something out of thin air. I feel like there is some nuance and substance to it. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so after we get the interrogation between Hap and OA, um, uh, we get this very lovely scene between OA and Homer where Homer talks about, you know, if they were to ever escape, they would have their own little garden. And I thought that was really sweet and romantic. And, you know, at first she has some trepidation about, uh, you know, the garden failing and dying. And he, he gives many, many alternatives, which is basically, you know, the garden of forking paths. There are different possibilities as how they would approach it the next time out. Right. And yeah, that gave, that gave a bit of hope and optimism to their situation. And I really, really love that part in particular. Um, yeah, and then what precedes that is Hap sitting in his chair. He had fallen asleep while observing uh, the Haptibs. And the sheriff, or the uh, I guess the ranger uh, from the previous episode, shows up. And then we end it there. So, yeah. Um, what did you think of that end? And... Um, do you have any more theories you want to talk about, Pat, before we close? I think it's uh, either there's going to be a. I think the sheriff's either confronting him about, you know, uh, confronting him about, like, uh, maybe because of uh, the issue with Leon mm -hmm. was made public, because at the end he's trying to sneak out covering his face as much as he can and he hands i think like leon's pass or badge to access those sections and he instructs them like you know like go there open up the stuff like you're gonna find a bunch of corpses and a dead doctor so like it, it, there could be a media spectacle going on that somehow the somehow the sheriff knows about it or the sheriff could be like a deep state agent or something <laughs> He's like coming in, they go like, you know what's happening? Why'd you kill Leon? I'm your handler. Right. Or it could just be like the sheriff's like having a mental break because his wife's illness. Right. His, wife, his wife's condition has gotten so bad. He's literally going over there with a gun saying like irrationally going like, I don't care what you got to do. Just right. make, her, make her better. And maybe we'll see uh, at Homer and Rory out of confinement. Yeah. Uh, go save the sheriff's wife, and maybe the sheriff will be cool with it. And <laughs> cool with it, and that Hap keeps him prisoner because they save his wife. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a couple ways it can go. Like the sheriff could be like, oh, thank you, Hap. Go ahead and lock him back up. Or he could be like, thank mm. you, Rory and Homer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll free you guys from this fucking monster. <laughs> or it could be again like what happened to Leon Hap. I'm CIA Deep State MK Ultra <laughs> guard number six for you. Uh also my wife's sick. I know you have him in your basement. Let's go fix my <laughs> wife. I don't know. I love how you're tapping into like conspiracy theorist Pat and then like oh television yeah, theorist Pat and then like you know these different like scenarios that evolve like involve all these different sections of yourself. <laughs> the crazy thing is it's all the same Pat. I just hide conspiracy. <laughs> you guys get film student Pat 99% of the time, but a hundred percent of the time in my brain, it's full conspiracy pet. <laughs> no, I think that's terrific. Uh, <laughs> maybe this is what the show is about, you know, unlocking fully your whole self, you know, all the selves inside you, you know, all the, the various future yous. And yeah, I think those are terrific theories, Patrick. Can't wait for the next episode until we find out if, they, if any of them come true. Or maybe they all come true at the same time. Um, but that being said, that about wraps up our recap, our reaction, and our thoughts to um, 
to part one, chapter six, Forking Paths. And thank you again for listening to us talk about this show. I'm glad you really like it, Patrick. It seems like you've gotten way more into it. We only have two episodes left. And yeah, thank you again for joining me on this path. And um, yeah, I can't wait to talk more the next time out. Thank you.